Hello and welcome to this month's edition of In Conversation With. In previous episodes of the mini-series on COVID-19, we have documented the beauty industry's initial response to the pandemic, as well as the strategies companies use to navigate through lockdown. Today, we'll be discussing how the great virus crisis is innovating beauty. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce my guests. Joining us this evening from Singapore, we have Nicole Fall, founder at Asia Consumer Intelligence. Live from London, we have Bridie Liscombe, Global Managing Director and co-founder of Cult London. And from the US, we are joined by Gillian Wright, co-founder and principal of Indie Beauty Media Group, as well as Melissa Hagel, Vice President Creative at Trend Agency, Fashion Snoops. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> so, let's start with the Indie Beauty brands. Gillian. How have they been innovating through this crisis in the U.S.? Well, there's been a lot of innovation happening over the last few months, um, especially in the acne care category, brands like Squish Beauty, Hero Cosmetics, Starface are coming out with um, acne patches where they're telling their consumer, don't be afraid to be authentic which I think is very interesting for the new generation of uh, acne consumers. We're also seeing innovation in blue light blocking formulations. For example, Kakadu Dream has come out with some nighttime products and a mist made with probiotic deep sea algae. And then something really fascinating, there's a brand called Nilu and Nilu created a vegan silk alternative made from cotton linter, which I think is very interesting since vegan and cruelty-free is a very hot, I'd say, movement in the indie beauty category. And Nicole, in Asia, what are the indie brands doing? Indie brands are really focused on problem solving and in our perma-tropical weather here in Southeast Asia, maskne is obviously a big issue um, as well as, you know, the endless sitting indoors with aircon and just staring at your laptop laptop the entire time. So what we're seeing is some really cool little brands, um, particularly from the Philippines, which is an unusual country to see innovation from. Um, usually it's, you know, the usual suspects in Northeast Asia, but from uh, there's a great little brand that we track called Happy Skin, and they've just launched a new range called the Fresh Morning Dew Collection. And what they're really, what they're really aiming to do um, with this new range is basically um, use exfoliating act actives and fruit enzymes to stimulate the growth of new skin through micro peeling while you're wearing your mask and, uh, and particularly in the Philippines which is um, yet in another lockdown consumers there not only are they wearing masks they're now mandated to actually wear the visors over their face as well so literally people are not just suffering from you know mask knee but they're almost sort of sitting in these mini saunas I don't know if you guys have ever um, worn the, the visors um, for any period of time but combined with the mask in tropical weather it's just crazy for skin so we've been tracking a lot of um what the Filipino brands are doing to respond to that. And um, and also in Singapore, we're seeing Skin Inc, which is really well known for its Japanese formulated serums. Again, try to um, deal with the sensitive skin issues that a lot of consumers are facing in this region. So yeah, quite a bit of innovation. And in, in the UK, Bridie? Well, I'm actually, um, one of the things I, I wanted to talk about um, is, is almost two ways in when we're sort of seeing trends, and uh, sorry, when we're seeing brands respond. And firstly, I think we're actually seeing some categories and beauty categories completely rethink their role in consumers' lives post-COVID. And I think actually an interesting one to consider is, is the fragrance category, I have to say, um, because we are seeing, you know, this sort of trend in rise in sales of active wear and lounge wear, and we're now seeing the fragrance world connect themselves to scented products to wear at home. And, and it's interesting trend that we're seeing because we're also seeing brands like This Works 
launch what they're calling their Love Sleep Collection, which is a range of scented products that allow you to reclaim the bedroom and connect intimacy with wellness, which is obviously something which is, is a huge trend now that consumers are looking to shop for. So I think it's super interesting. Uh, we're seeing that. We're also seeing that with a European brand called Zyrena, who are creating a perfume to sommeil, which is, of course, the, the perfume to enable you to sleep. So I think in, in the beauty category, you're seeing simple shifts to sort of combat new shopping behaviors, but equally you're seeing categories completely rethink their role in consumers' lives now that we're in this, this new um, post or you know during COVID world. And Melissa, that leads quite nicely to you. Fashion, fragrance, leisure wear, what are you seeing from the indie brands in the US? Yeah, so I think when it comes to the indie brands, you know, despite everyone having hurdles, they've kind of been uniquely equipped to navigate these challenges of COVID. And they really have had their fingers on the pulse of what consumers want and are able to quickly pivot and roll out products. So, you know, we know with COVID, people um, were looking to touchless, people didn't want to touch their face. So we're really looking at innovations in touchless. Um, we've seen a lot of um, indie brands kind of navigate into the mood boosting products as well. We know immunity is a big topic of conversation. So just seeing either brands, you know, come up with um, immunity products, whether it be Nutri Cosmetics or, um, or skincare products that have immunity ingredients. Um, so I think, you know, these are some of the things. And I think more than the products with indie brands is their ability to foster relationships with the, with the customers, yeah. which is something that's, you know, really big during this time as well is that, you know, customers want to feel heard. They want to feel engaged. Everyone's kind of going through an emotional turmoil. So, you know, indie, they were really able to pivot in that way of like having that connection with the consumer. So heritage brands have just released all their results for the, the first half of year. Um, and none are doing brilliantly, but where are they investing in innovation? Nicole, in Asia. So there's something that's been quite interesting that's been happening in the region. Um, and basically, since all travel has stopped, um, or mostly stopped in the region, um, there is a, a, an area where in China, it was known as Daigu. And basically that's Chinese for buying on behalf of. So a lot of consumers in China actually relied on Daigu to um, buy their products from overseas. So, they, so if they weren't available in China or they were super expensive due to all the taxes, you get these personal shoppers or the Daigu who um, sometimes they were cabin crew or just sometimes people who were just literally that was their main job was to fly to places like Australia or Hong Kong and pick up products. Mm. Um, uh, to on you know a lot cheaper than they would be to be shipped into China, so obviously with the uh, with all travel stopping in the region, there's actually been a number of businesses which have tried to um, leverage basically what is this sort of this internet arbitrage. So there's some really big players going into this space. So it used to be a bit of a grey market, and a lot of the big brands were very suspicious of that. So um, so now we're actually seeing a new breed of kind of peripheral services and sort of this cross border trans-shipment and middleman platforms um, come in to plug that market gap. And as I mentioned in the past, a lot of big brands were very you know, hesitant to kind of work with these brands. But what we're now actually seeing is major brands now starting to partner with these new breed of companies which are acting as Daigu um, with the travel stop. So it's that's a, a really interesting um business opportunity we're seeing in this region with the big brands partnering with the Daigu companies. So Melissa, we have seen that uh, there has been a big shift in um, employment in the heritage brands across the US. What are they doing to combat sales? How are they innovating? Yeah, I think, you know, this is an interesting topic because we're almost at Fashion Snoop discussing what is luxury anymore. And I think that's what the consumer is thinking. You know, it's like, is a luxury brand something that's essential to me? Is it something that is luxurious? So I think there, you know, there actually is a lot of struggle here. I know we are looking hopeful and looking at places like China where um, the luxury market has boomed as soon as, you know, at home orders were um, out, people went to buy the bags. I think it's a little bit different here um, as, you know, we're handling the virus a bit different as well. So it's just, it, it becomes more the, 
conversation of what is luxury. And I think, you know, because the brands are struggling, they're um, finding other ways to talk to the market. So we know that we're seeing a lot of um, the space and nostalgia, you know, brands kind of using their own history, um, marketing to a way where they can um, speak to people from like a nostalgia kind of way. So I know, you know, they're, they're finding other ways because um, at the moment it's not, it's not um, doing so well. And in the UK, in Europe, Bridie, is nostalgia going to work? Is that true innovation or do they have to step up their game, the heritage brands? Well, I think it's, you know, I think nostalgia is, is about reigniting connection. And and I, I honestly think that that is, is a strong play, but it's also important to consider how you connect with consumers. And a lot of what we're seeing from heritage brands is, well, successful ones in the space right now is recognizing that spending intent is not shifting, but how consumers wish to spend is changing and looking at how they can create one-to-one connection with their consumers. And there's huge trends with brands like Canique and Decium, you know, bringing in virtual one-to-one consultations, video consultations, and, and the results are staggering you know you have brands you know emerging and to compete alongside them you know you have indie brands like inky list who are also announcing you know their ask inky list and and have their commitments to respond to consumers within 30 minutes on all social channels but what you are seeing is staggering sales results from the brands that are getting it right and some of them are heritage brands credo beauty is a great example they're now saying that about 50 percent of their digital business is owed to these video consultations where they have these one-to-one connections with consumers so i think nostalgia is the right play because it ignites that emotional connection but again how you can ensure you get that time with your consumers to connect with them to educate them to answer their questions is key and as much as this is going to happen have an impact on your bottom line if you can achieve it in the right way and, and video consults are a huge part of that it also means that there's an opportunity for these heritage brands to avoid large-scale layoffs with some of their shop assistants with their experts who they've spent many years investing in training this is another avenue to retain their people and have a human approach to this crisis which any brand in any sector is being held to account on now so for me i think it is i would agree i think nostalgia is is absolutely key but then how you make that personal connection is is again where where we are seeing heritage brands be successful in this time and Gillian, so what about retail that leads us quite nicely into retail there are record store closures pop-ups are coming Digital's trying to take over, safety first. Who is doing it well in the US? Well, I definitely think Credo is doing an excellent job and, and Beauty Heroes is doing an, a wonderful job as well, connecting with their, their customers. Uh, another thing we're seeing here in the US, uh, highlighted, I think, because of the Black Lives Matter movement, are retailers owned by uh, people of color like Beauty Bees, Undefined Collective, Black and Green. So there's definitely a shift of where consumers are gonna spend their money. And and with this movement happening here, um, I think that there's a a definite um, uh, focus on spending money in places that are, are quite meaningful. And Nicole, in Asia, they're doing some quite interesting things with tech in stores, no touch uh, displays. Talk us through what's going on there. Yeah, so um, I think one of the biggest uh, stories to you know uh, come out recently was the um, Longcoms Genifique um, virtual flagship, which yeah. is launching for the first time in Singapore, and, uh, and I'm pretty excited by this. I've already kind of signed up, so I can you know get first dibs to entering this virtual store in I think three more days from now. And um, effectively, it's a fully immersive digital experience featuring live interactions with celebrities, and they're all kind of local celebrities from Singapore and it's very much targeted to a Singapore audience, so much so that you can only enter it from the um, Genifique, uh, dot, you know, uh, Singapore page. And um, so that's kind of really is the future. Um, you know, they're really kind of taking that to the extreme. And then obviously interim stores that we're seeing, which are fairly new, um, is Body Shop's new activist store. So it's, it's supposed to be a world first. Um, they have, you know, like a, a gift um 
area where you can kind of pack your products up and and so on and so forth but I think what I'm really seeing to be honest with you is uh, a bit of a struggle with the beauty stores here you know um, stores like Sephora and all the other stores used to be absolutely packed and now they're completely empty and you know these stores have gone from you know the equivalent of um, you know the adults Disneyland to just these sort of barren wastelands with you know uh, tumbleweed kind of flowing through them and the moment you walk in literally the service um, or the you know the customer service people coming running over not to sell you something literally to have a conversation that's how empty they are so uh, I mean you know with everything behind plastic it's it's actually quite difficult so you know Luckily, there is the digital um, channel that consumers turn, can turn to, which has been successful. But I, I think retail struggling in the region, apart from the ones that I've mentioned. And Melissa, retail in the US, what is happening? Yeah. What is happening with Sephora? <laughs> what is happening with digital? Is it merging? Is it still separate? How yeah, are- no, definitely. I mean, I just recently read that society has adjusted to five years worth of technological advancements in just eight weeks. Yeah. They definitely all have gone online. And I think while a lot of the trends were coming from China, you know, we saw L'Oreal live stream, live streaming was huge. We are seeing social media kind of become the new platform for retail. So, you know, we know consumers are afraid to go to in stores. So it's everything from Elf creating a TikTok reality show. Um, Sally Hansen went virtual with AR nail polish try-ons through Snapchat. And Sephora is actually a great example because they partnered with Instagram. So they've created this new digital beauty storefront. So with that storefront, you know, they have skincare, makeup, fragrance, um, and they allow consumers to complete a purchase without even leaving the app. So definitely seeing much more innovations. I think at the beginning, it was a little bit more hesitant. And maybe, you know, people were like, oh, you know, they, they still want the in-store experience. But, you know, now within the few weeks, few months, definitely seeing more innovation and throughout different um, platforms and social media. And Bridie, where is the innovation in Europe? Retail is very quiet at the moment. It is, you know, and I think it isn't just about footfall. You know, I think that the reality is if you really boil it down to the challenge that we're facing, it is that the tester experience is lost. And we know consumers are four times more likely to buy a product when they interact with it. What we're seeing is interesting short-term and long-term solves. So... Of course, you're seeing brands such as Mac really push, you know, their their virtual try-on. So really, sim- you know, similar to the Sally Hansen example there. We're also seeing brands like Lancome who are shifting 20% of their samples to their own digital business and moving that away from, you know, their retail partners, you know, really trying to see if they can own that, that point of conversion. But everybody has their eyes on the long term you know we are seeing so many product developers now rushing to find the solves in packaging and product ingredients that will allow for sampling to continue in stores for instance motion activated product sampling that can dispense liquid without you actually having to touch anything so there's you know these are the long-term solves that will allow testing in store and those are you know where a lot of people are spending their time and innovation budgets right now whilst combating with these sort of short-term fixes i should say you know these approaches to virtual trial etc also have benefits you know if you can start to have conversations with your with your consumers on messenger whilst they are experienced virtual trial the conversion rates are very high so as much as is all eyes on on the the prize with of course ensuring that we have a long-term plan for testing in bricks and mortar i think the the sustained payoff with digital and virtual trial is something that we will we will all see over time so certainly we're, we're seeing some short-term souls but but no live long-term souls for that that actual tester experience and bringing that back. So how about the marketing messages? How has it changed? How do you reach and sell beauty to consumers post lockdown? Nicole, let's start in Asia. I mean, you are further out of lockdown than, than we are in the Europe and the US. How are they reaching and what are they saying? That's right. So within the region, you know, you have uh, China, which is basically back to normal. Meanwhile, you have Hong Kong, which just went back into another lockdown and then Philippines, which is in a full lockdown. And then countries that are sort of, you know, uh, a big 
part of Southeast Asia, which is Singapore, Thailand, Myanmar, and all those countries which have barely had a case, um, you know, in 100 days and are, are just getting on with things. And so really, it's, it's very difficult, I think, for the uh, major beauty brands to really have this singular message because everyone is in such different stages. But ultimately, there are some definitely... Um, there are some overriding themes which we're seeing and you know mental health has become a bigger topic it was really really taboo in this region until fairly recently and just even for people to just talk about how they're feeling beyond you know i'm fine um you know it is a is is quite a step forward so there's been a lot of um, messaging around self-care and using skincare and beauty just to kind of provide those instant boosts or or allow you to do things that make you feel a bit better about yourself. So that's what we're seeing, like there's more focus on self-care and then that sort of shift as well um, around the microbiome. How do you, you know, encourage a better skin ecosystem? So I would say that they're the key topics that we're seeing. And Julian, the, the indie brands, what is their their message? Has it changed? Is it the same? How are they communicating with their customers? Well, I think with indie, it's always been this overarching um, theme of wellness and and lifestyle inclusivity. And now that message is just being vibrated for at home beauty, you know, caring for yourself, um, doing more um, you know mani pedis at home or taking care of your hair. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily changed. It's just now vibrating a little bit more um, um, profoundly. And you know, indie brands don't really have that ability to um, have all the, the digital bells and whistles that a lot of the heritage and the, the bigger brands do in terms of um, uh, marketing and, and sampling. But I think Credo does a really good job with, with sampling um, but of course, then we have to talk about the sustainability issue of, of packaging and whatnot. So I think that uh, indie brands have always been able to tell their story very, very well because there's that deep connection with their followers and with their customers. And I think people really want to hear that story. So in terms of marketing, that third party marketer, like we're seeing this insurgence of skinfluencers on TikTok. Yeah. And I think that that's a very interesting uh, concept where indie brands don't necessarily have the big budgets for the digital innovations, but yet they're very uh, nimble and very scrappy. And so they will uh, continue to build their tribe around um, wellness and lifestyle and looking at beauty as sort of like this 360 degree um, life lifestyle. And in Europe, how is our marketing message what are we saying? How are we communicating with the customer and what are we trying to sell, Bridley? <clears throat> Again, I think there are some key themes to come out. You know, one of the things we need to remember is that, you know, owed to the, the slowdown of the formulation process, owed to testing facilities shutting down, we are we have less beauty campaigns that can feature clinical results and, and trials. You know, so I think we are... Um, moving into a time when we know that we are going to have less of these sort of trials to talk about, but equally our consumers is demanding to have less produced content and more captured content and more authentic assets. You know, we are seeing campaigns being created with recycled assets. You know, so again, we are sort of moving away from these overly produced marketing and media messages through, you know, necessity, but equal a shift in, in what consumers want to see in, in campaigns. And of course, as this is a time where brands really need to stand up and, and identify their purpose and what human good they can do. We're seeing a huge rise in brands talking about their purpose, how they're supporting their people, including, of course, their consumers. You know, again, you know, another example of that would be Mac, of course, through Viva Glam and, and announcing they're donating, you know, 10 million to organizations around the world, you know, supporting coronavirus. And so for me, I think it is, um, being mindful that we have our, our hands tied again, of course, because we aren't able to do those shoots, but consumers don't need to see or want to see those types of marketing messages at the moment. So what do consumers want to see? I think that they want to feel that they're spoken to in the moment. 
I think that they they want to feel that they are being spoken to authentically. I feel that they don't want to be spoken to with with huge media spends. You know, I think that they they want to just be told how a you know how products can actually work by people that they can relate to and, and real genuine consumers. So I think it's they're just seeking out honesty in this moment and to feel that brands are on this journey with them throughout this pandemic. So Melissa they're looking for authenticity and for um, real-time communication. And if we look at the media, who are the winners and who are the losers of the great virus crisis? What is happening with actual media? Um, Just, I I did want to piggyback on some of the, before I jump into media, on some of the other marketing messages. Yeah. I think what's really important to know as well is that you know, I know it's different around the world, but the U.S. is really experiencing two pandemics, if you think about it. Um, so we have COVID-19, but we also have um, what Julian mentioned earlier, the whole idea with racism and Black Lives Matter. So I really think, you know, something that people who are listening loud and clear is that every consumers are really looking for brands that are using their platforms as a voice. So there's no longer that division of, um, you know, oh, we can't speak political, we can't speak that. It's actually that's thrown out the window. And we're now looking for brands who stand for something. We're looking for transparency. We're looking for authenticity, like, you know, other the other people mentioned as well. Um, so I just think that's an important point, especially in the U.S. to know. And yes, you know, I agree everything else with the emotional, but it's one of them. Um, one of the bigger the bigger ones and that also ties in with media because you know we are seeing this this ingenuous marketing um you know we, we're seeing you know who can we trust who can we not trust everything's a little bit uncertain so you know consumers are really looking for that transparency um and that trust and you know it's we are all online so it's like if you do something everyone will know it's there's no way of hiding from it um so i think it's really important um in the transparency mode and are people still reading magazines, Melissa, in the U.S.? Um, I mean, I, I'm a millennial, so I'm not super, you know, I'm not older, but I'm not young. So um, I feel like magazines are personally out. I think it's all about the platforms. You know, we are, you know, it's, like, it's a little sad that we get most of our news from like Instagram. But, you know, that's where a lot of the, the news comes in. It's just like online, what we see. And that, you know, with that as well, you do get so many voices. So that's where it comes a little bit muddled of like, okay, you know, what is the truth? What is really happening? I'm getting all kinds of sides. Um, so I think, you know, it does get a little overwhelming of like, you know, who, who should we listen to? What is really happening? And is that the same case in Europe? Completely agree. You know, you know, I only think that this pandemic has has really pushed the rise for consumer journalism, but but almost, you know, that the generations are, are talking to themselves and often the traditional media will follow and break the headlines and, and report them from the channels on which the generations are talking about it amongst themselves. You know, I, I don't think um and the stats speak for themselves. You know, trust continues to be eroded in, in traditional media, and, and that is only something that has has been accelerated in this time. And is that due to the content that the 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 traditional media is uh, bringing out, or is it due to actual people are sourcing um, information elsewhere? I think they they have more reliability in the speed in which they're they're sourcing it from from social media. You know, I think, you know, you only have to look at the beauty industry and and look at certain social feeds like, for instance, Estee Laundry, who will often be the first to break and share news. And and that is just those types of conversations are often not shared in, in the traditional beauty press. So I think that, you know, you see consumer journalists, if you will, or influencers on certain channels being bolder and being more honest and, and upfront with their opinions and the news that they're, they're willing to break. So I think once that cycle has happened a few times, then that is how that trust is eroded. And so I think Estee Laundry is, is a great example of a channel that's not afraid to break that news. It's not afraid to put itself out there. And that is just not something that audiences see from traditional press. And Nicole in Asia? Who is winning in the media stakes? 
In Asia, people tend to um, either turn to their super apps, which you know in China will be WeChat or 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 Meituan for just for convenience, really. Um, in Southeast Asia, people will be using um, WhatsApp to share news. So in terms of traditional media, it's definitely um, you know. Uh, long dead in this part of the world and people are just happy to share um, information between their kind of community groups and, uh, and and wider groups so really you know this is a this is a trend that's been evolving for quite some time but in this part of the region particularly accelerated so with regards to sort of any national or even um, you know regional press or, or any kind of overriding message no people are, uh, are very much focused on their small community groups here maybe possibly to their detriment too. Okay. And let's talk about work, work environments. Um, this has completely changed over the last five months. Uh, work from home continues to transform all companies' structures. Um, and now, and how is it manifesting? In, in Asia, how is work from home working in Asia and, and p- pandemic-proofing work environments. Can you talk us through that, Nicole? What do you well, see? Yeah, I mean, what, what we're seeing here is that, um, you know, for example, in Singapore, which um, had uh, is, you know, still in a fairly strict, what they call circuit breaker over here rather than lockdown, um, the government has encouraged um you know, employers to keep the majority of their staff at home still. So unless you have to go to the factory or the office or your workplace, you're encouraged to work from home. Um, And that allows, you know, other industries to get back to work or, or kids to go back to school. And that's really the focus. So with regards to how that impacts societies and you know and around us yeah i mean people used to work crazy hours and and you know particularly in japan it's a real issue people die from overwork they still do and uh, and what we're actually really seeing in this part of the world is people are now accumulating holiday because obviously if you can't fly anywhere you can't go anywhere um you know to put it into context in singapore people are not allowed to leave the country um, malaysia you're not allowed to leave the country Country. Australia, you cannot leave the country. So, you know, all these people are accruing loads of holiday and um, they're working from home. And if anything, there are now initiatives where, um, you know, they're now trying to partner with hotels to say, well, come and work from our hotel or, or, or take a, a kind of a, a break to work in another environment. So it, everything is just up in the air here. It's definitely, um, I'm going to use this word, which we're all a bit sick of, but it's definitely unprecedented. And Bridie, work from home, do you see this as long-term? Well, I would say generally, you know, work from home culture really wasn't something that was thriving before the pandemic and certainly attitudes towards it are have shifted. You know, we are we have seen now certainly in the UK the intent and the will from, from most working from home community to stay working from home there is also an unwillingness you know of of a lot of businesses to be reopening and ensure that they have the right safety measures in place so i think that we will we will see sustained working from home for quite quite some time the concerns though are the guidance and the, the pressure from the government you know we are getting conflicting messages with how to set up your working environment equally there are messages around you know get back to work and support those local businesses that thrive from you know the the office culture and, and that foot traffic so there's a lot of conflicting messages at the moment but we are seeing data showing that there is huge concerns amongst the population with regards to what is safe in the workplace and, and what isn't and that kind of desire to continue working from home a lot of the trends that we're seeing is that people are far more efficient working from home and in fact there is there is a lot of conversation happening now around how to you know prevent burnout and you know to lift an an earlier point ensure people are taking holiday time so again it is you know you know growing accustomed to this new norm and and how we manage the working from home environment to ensure that it is something that is sustainable and equally how we then you know if that is a trend to continue how we are going to support those local businesses in inner cities that are of course going to be very very down on their footfall and very down on their income in this time. And Gillian, I would suspect that most indie brands have started from working from home uh, when they initiated their business. How are they using that to their advantage? Well, I think because globally we've had to slow down a bit, uh, reconfigure 
how we work. And yes, indie brands definitely um, are champions of the work from home, two-dimensional uh, aspect of, of um, figuring out their day from childcare to um, exercise, and then of course being efficient um, in the workforce. But I think that there are triumphs and also challenges with any type of, of shift. The fact that we have more time um, at home, less time commuting and traffic, I think that's um, a positive. But for those who might be used to going to the office, it's definitely a, a challenge where um, you know, we're also dealing with childcare issues and, and women and where does the burden and the responsibility fall. So I think going forward post COVID, we're going to have some sort of hybrid where some companies are just keeping all of their employees at home where others are saying, well, you can come in, you know, one day a week or just have your core team working with you. Uh, as you know, IBMG, we're all over the world. So we're used to working at home. So this is nothing different for us, <clears throat> but it is still, um, I think hard because we need that, the three dimension, we need that human connection. So, you know, it's, it's it, neither one is perfect and going forward, it's not going to be, you know, a or B there's definitely going to be differences in how people work, um, especially in the, in the, in the indie space. Um, most indies have to source, um, uh, their suppliers, they don't have the infrastructure to have uh, employees. So as they grow, and I, I think this is a time for indie brands because there has been such a shift to digital and that communication. And that's where indies thrive because they don't have the budgets for anything else. Um, so I think there will be a hybrid going forward, but like any type of change, there definitely comes the challenge. And Melissa, what about the corporate world in the US? Um, L'Oreal reportedly have requested medical records for uh, their staff to work from home in the US. How do you pandemic proof your office uh, and make it safe for people to want to come back? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely an experimental time. Um, you know, like we've said before, where people are just trying to learn how to navigate through this. You know, some brands like Twitter have announced, okay, everyone's working from home forever. You know, other other companies might not have the luxury they might need to be in person. So I think, you know, we are kind of seeing what options are available, what works. You know, some, some companies have, you know, been able to thrive in this. Brands have been able to hire, no longer need to hire locally and can open up their outreach internationally. Um, and but then we also have, you know, the health, the wellness, you know, what is safe. Um, so I think it is going to be a lot of trial and error and hopefully, you know, for the better and for what's healthy for the employer. But right now it's, you know, I think everyone's just kind of trying to figure out what works. You know, there have been options of private office spaces, you know, people have been speak companies have been speaking about the idea of letting their employers when it's safe travel around the world so it's kind of a little bit all over the place right now i think you know again it is a very experimental time and maybe it'll take the rest of the year to kind of figure out what works um for every company but lo lots of options um thrown out there okay so let's talk product let's talk formulation uh, we have new buzzwords in the market, masking, Zoom face, mask mouth. Who is formulating for this post-pandemic needs in Asia? Nicole, who is his formulating for these new products? I think I mentioned earlier that um, among the more independent beauty brands, a lot of them are focused on problem solving and definitely mask mask knee, you know, um, the spots and the sensitive skin that come from this prolonged um, usage of wearing a mask. And so we're just seeing a lot of innovation there and and just, and also, I mean, it's not just good enough to say, okay, we can, you know, heal your skin. Um, it's really trying to build on that platform of saying, right, okay, you're wearing a mask, we're trying to solve that issue, but also we know that it's 35 degrees here all the time, um, super humid. So let's add in, you know, a cooling UV, um, mist element um, with an SPF of a minimum of 35 or something. So there's so the way we 
the, what we're really seeing here is just this kind of platform um, is the problem solving and then here are the issues and then on top of that here are the extra benefits and that kind of cuts over into um, halal for example so nowadays it's no longer good enough just to be a halal brand you now have to um, you know add something in so for example we're actually seeing um, blockchain being used to reassure um, consumers that is a fully traceable supply chain so it's really interesting you know um, just how much innovation is happening despite actually this environment and Bridie in Europe what's happening with color cosmetics well, uh, one thing I, I would note on on formulation is that you know now that consumers have an awareness of contamination through touch, we are really seeing a push to drive innovation in hygienic and, and antimicrobial materials when we are um, formulating our products and creating our products. So, you know, we're already seeing you know brands such as Clinique and, and Revlon um, weave antimicrobial technology into their makeup brushes. We're seeing uh, nail polish brands like Dr. Remedy set themselves apart with naturally occurring antifungal ingredients, which seal out bacteria in the nail varnish. So we're really kind of seeing a, a surge in that. I think the other thing is that, you know, when you're on Zoom, all day people are seeing your skin up close um, more than they ever were before and and also you are too you're, you're constantly looking at your skin and you're seeing that camera played back to you more than you would uh, in your daily life pre-covid and so we're also seeing another interesting formulation trend which is that you know we all knew natural beauty was on this upward trajectory, but perhaps now coronavirus has, has dented our confidence in this because we're thinking that natural doesn't always necessarily mean better, especially when we're thinking about things like shelf life. So as a result, we're actually seeing more of a demand in biotechnology as a new definition of, of natural. And this is essentially the best of both worlds. It's blending nature and, and technology within you know, the formulation process. And it's looking at how natural ingredients are being reproduced in labs rather than being harvested, if you will. A really great example of this is um, One Ocean Beauty who use marine microorganisms and regrow them in their labs. So for me, I think, yes, you know, we are, um, you know, as a result of you know being on that Zoom screen, we are perhaps paying less attention to our spend on color cosmetics, and even more so, you know, pushing into this rise of, of skin wellness. And when we're there, you know, we're not necessarily thinking about natural products to solve our skin complaints. We're really looking to push it with new biotechnological claims. And the indie brands—they're all about natural. What is happening with their formulations? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely supply chain issues in terms of uh, ingredients and packaging. So there was a slowdown, especially for those um, coming from, from China. But I think what we're hopefully starting to, to get back to a somewhat normal, but uh, yes, green chemistry uh, and lab-derived ingredients is definitely on the rise, uh, especially because it they are cleaner, no pesticides, less electricity, um, you're not uh, depleting the soil. So I do believe that lab-derived ingredients is um, a, a positive. And um, in terms of uh, Indy, I mean, everybody and their mother decided to come out with uh, hand sanitizers. Yeah. And because of that, there's like this over-sanitizing of everything, which of course is going to age your hands um, with all of the alcohol and whatnot. So I think that there's uh, an opportunity for in indie brands to come up with uh, soothing and anti-inflammatory type products to help with all of the over-sanitizing. Uh, Personally, I believe even though there was a, a dip in color cosmetics, and we are on Zoom and all of these meetings, and some of them are in person with like one-on-one -on -one meetings, you still have to feel good, you still have to look good, and you still have to take pride in your appearance. So even though you know skincare is on the rise and color cosmetics maybe not so much right now, I think what will happen is as we start to get back into normalcy or you know, post-COVID normalcy, I think there will be a balance between uh, color cosmetics and then also taking care of, of your skin. So I think there's huge opportunity there for indie brands. And Melissa, is the lipstick index dead? You know, I 
We've forecasted that even though right now a lot of brands aren't really, or not a lot of brands, a lot of consumers aren't really using lipstick, that there is going to be a return to glam. You know, we, we are going to want to, you know, um, put on our lipstick, put on our makeup, have like a night out of town. Um, and especially, you know, we are seeing a lot of formulations change within the makeup. So it's almost a lot of the makeup ha is having skincare hybrids. So I think we'll definitely see innovation of maybe more smudge proof lipstick so that, you know, consumer is still able to wear their lipstick, feel good, either continue to be on their Zoom meeting or meet up with their friends, um, but still have things that protect them and that don't smudge and that aren't um, messy. So. You know, like like Jillian said, even though it went down, I, I think, um, you know, glam is back. It's going to come back. People are going to want to like feel good. They're going to want to stop wearing sweats and like dress up and wear the, the makeup and lipstick as well. Will we be back to 1920s flapper movement? I've, I mean, we always go back to every genre. So, you know, it can be 20s mixed with 80s. But yeah, I think there actually is a lot of um, historic. We had a trend called historical maximalism. So it is like kind of looking back at like those glam moments and yeah, bringing them back. So we might see some of that. And finally, where are the growth opportunities in Q4 of 2020? What does a COVID holiday season look like in Asia, Nicole? What does holiday look like? Holiday 2020. Okay, so you have uh, you have Diwali in um, India, and then we have you know the Western Christmas, and then we have Chinese New Year, which was uh, is kind of when this all started for us. So I think people in the region will be um, really really nervous about the holiday season this year because this was the uh, starting point for us um, in this part of the world where obviously we're a few months ahead. Um, but it you know when we kind of look at the numbers and when we look at the consumer behaviors in um japan korea and china which are you know fairly open markets right now um people are back to going out people are actually putting makeup back on um you know the whole accentuating their eyes um because you know mask usage will be here for the foreseeable future. So actually we are seeing a growth in eye cosmetics. Um, you know, it's kind of the framing the, phrase, uh, framing the face trend, which has been big um, among people who wear, um, you know, headscarves, um, Muslim communities. So basically I think we're gonna see, um, you know, uh, continued growth in that area. Fragrance has become really important, both from the home perspective and for personal fine fragrance. Um, it's just an easy way of boosting your mood and uh, and creating a nice environment. So I think, you know, for the first time, we're really going to start to see fragrance pick up in this part of the world. And it's definitely been a, a slow region to do so. And um, Melissa, what will be big for holiday in the US 2020? Um, you know, I think here it is going to be, you know, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but an emotional collect connection. I think, you know, there's a lot happening around the world. There's a lot happening local. So there are going to be a little bit more um, kind of an emotional landscape of connecting, self-care, mental health tips. We're seeing brands like Den I Met You, you know, come up with their products along with offering a journal. Um, so I think that's one part of it, just kind of having more of that emotional connection. And I think localization is going to be an interesting um, mm -hmm. area as, as we're not able to, like, you know, we said, leave the countries, travel around, you know, maybe for the holidays, people go see their family and now they have to stay wherever they live. So I think there is going to be an increase of like helping people find these local businesses, supporting local businesses. I know um, this is not specific to the U.S., but it's someone that we're tracking, this beauty retailer in Singapore. They um, expanded their whole brand offering at their retail shop to support homegrown sourcing. So they plan to stock more local brands in their retail space. So I think, you know, again, the whole in the holidays, it might just be since we are staying local, it's going to be about being local. What do I have at home? Who can I support at home? And just seeing a big trend in localization. And Gillian, for the indie brands, where's the opportunity for holiday season 2020? Well, Jessica Richards from Shen Beauty said in a Business of Fashion article that she's not expecting a lot from the indie brands in terms of uh, holiday gift sets. But what I have noticed is if you order directly from a brand like Shaz and Kicks or Lab to Beauty, 
her royal empress, Ranavant. They they send these beautiful packages that look like gifts. So I don't think they necessarily have to separate their gift collection because they're kind of already doing it in the way that they present their brands already. So we're definitely going to see a dip in terms of, um, you know, things that are gorgeous and, and pretty. But personally, I don't think that that's a bad thing because we have been taxing our environment for so long and we've been giving people new, 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 constantly, constantly, constantly that to be able to step back and to see what's actually and feel what's actually meaningful is already within our ecosystem. And the bigger brands have to have to learn that. And I love what Melissa said about localization. And maybe people have to get creative and, you know, combine a bottle of wine with a beautiful robe and, and you know, products or perfume. So um, I don't necessarily see it as, as a bad thing. Um, I think that Indies um, are already sort of presenting their, their products in a, in a giftable way. And in Europe, will we have a local Christmas? What do you think? Well, I think so. No, I think, you know, we know that, you know, 43% of consumers have seen a significant impact on their financial position owed to COVID. But we are seeing hope. You know, we are seeing trends that are showing that consumers are, are planning for cosy holidays at home and they're intending to shop and they're intending to shop for, for light relief. And of course, that links with a lot of local commerce trends. We're seeing the intent to shop locally. We're also seeing a big rise in the use of social shopping apps and experiences. So shopping with your friends online at the same time. So there is the intent to shop there. There is the intent to shop with your online community and locally offline. We're also seeing a lot of reports showing us that there is intent to self-gift to mood lift in the holidays and a lot of searches related to this come back to skincare and and products that mimic the salon at home so you know for us we we know that there is going to be gifting moments we know that local is going to be a big driver of that but ultimately remembering that you need to create social experiences for shoppers and also enable them to treat themselves because we're all going to be looking for a mood lift this holiday period and with that, I would like to thank everyone for taking part. Nicole, Bridie, Gillian, Melissa, and thank you to our audience for listening. 